Good, good morning. God bless you for being here this morning. Um, so, as Jason had mentioned, a message geared toward children. And so, in just a few minutes, the children can come up for the first part of the message, and you can be here and uh, sit in the front, and we'll do some things together. Um, I'd just like to, um, in the just in the opening here, just give a little uh, plug for children's ministries. Uh, so if you're involved in, in children's lives, I just want to encourage you in that. So you might be a dad, a father, or a mother, uh, maybe an older sibling that has younger brothers and sisters. You may be involved in um, children's ministries that are represented here at church. But um, children's uh, being involved in the lives of children is really, really uh, important. It's really, really interesting because what your involvement in the lives of children is like throwing a rock in a, in a lake, in a pond. And from the rock, then there's ripples that go out. And um, the way that you impact children can, can impact, like, generations, not just the, the immediate impact, but it can impact um, lots and lots of people. In 1985, we would, we would have taken uh, some of the first children from Honeybrook to Camp Andrews. In uh, 1985, we had about 18 or 20 of them that we took down that year. Today, uh, some of those are grandparents. And you think about the impact of a week of camp having on not only the lives of the children that were there, but their children, and now they're probably their grandchildren also. Um, you know, we raised a family, and and um, our youngest son now is, what, 30-some years old, and, you know, my um, time of being a good influence on my children is gone. I mean, I can still be a good influence, but to, to make significant impact on their lives it comes and goes and so if you're involved in children's ministries in any way in the lives of children a teaching school or however it may be just put put everything into it because it's very important it's very important um the impact that you will have on your on children's lives goes on for a long time, and uh, it's important to do our best. In our in my uh, years of teaching Bible classes at school, my oldest students are now uh, parents, and they have children. And uh, I see some that have not made good choices in life, and then I wonder. I ask myself, Have I done everything that I should have or could have in my years of teaching? to impact children in a positive kind of way. So for the message this morning, then, I have this message. This is my assigned topic. I've done this several times before, and so um, I'd like to have the children come up. There's some room up here. Uh, have the children come up for the first part of the message, and so if you'd like to come up, welcome to do that.
You can sit here on the front bench and also this little bench and if everything fills up, you can sit on the floor. Okay, good. Good to have you here. Good to have the children here this morning. Okay, good. All right. Um, so this morning I brought a number of things along. Um, you can see milk and water and honey and a light and a mirror. Um, even brought a machete along. All of these things represent one thing. What do you think it would be? All of these things represent one thing. The Bible talks about all of these being like something. Anybody want to guess? Anybody make a wild guess? Huh? Think about uh, what, all right, let's go back. Let's do uh, some older ones, some older children, okay? <laughs> Maybe the ones that are going to give testimony this morning, huh? So what, what do all these things, what are all these things like? The Bible says, talks about all these things being like something. God's word. God's word, right, yeah. You were a little older than what I expected to be, though, for this answer, so whatever. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, all of these things are like God's word. And so we're going to be looking at a few things here. Uh, in the first part of the message, you can sit up here. Um, you know, you, I won't uh, ask you to sit up here the whole time, okay? So just the first part of the message, you'll be up here. So let's think about uh, some of these things and, um, and think about the Bible as being like these. Okay, so here we have a light. Does somebody want to try to turn this on? How, how would you turn this light on? Now this one here, you can probably figure this one out pretty quick. Somebody want to turn this one on? How do you turn it on? Okay, so we'll uh, let the boys figure that one out a little. In Psalm 119, 105, it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Oh, you get it? Okay, good. Good. Right, you just pull it up, right? Yeah. On the box, on the box for this light, it says you should be able to see it a mile away. You think you should see that? You, you think this light would shine a mile? Well, probably not. Probably not quite a mile. It might be a way of kind of advertising this light. So, yeah. So this light is um, is a it's a light that is made for camping. So you can take it along when you go camping. And this little one here is not nearly as bright as the big one, but uh, you can still use the little light too, and it'll light your it'll light your path a little bit. Okay. So think about light. 
Think about light and think about the lamps as being like God's word. So, now it's light outside the day, you know, so the sun is shining and it's light outside the day, so you don't need a light, right? Today you won't need a light, but tonight you might need a light when it gets dark, right? You might need a light so you can see where you're walking and so on. But you know, even even when the even on a on a bright day like this, we still live, we still live in a very dark world. Spiritually, our world is very very dark. Um, a lot of people are losing their way today because they don't have the light of the Bible to show them where to go. And so, a lot of people are losing their way today because. The Bible is not used in their lives. And so light tells us where to go. At night when you drive, you need lights on your car to show you which way the road is going and, and how to make the turns and where to make the, the turns at the intersections and so on. And so the Bible uh, does that for us in our lives. And uh, the Bible is a light for us that shows us where to go. We live in a very... We live in a very dark world spiritually, and many people are losing their way spiritually. And so today, we have people that say some things are right when they're actually wrong. And we have other people that say things, some things are right, uh, some things are wrong when they're actually right. And so uh, the Bible uh, gives us clear direction in that. It keeps us on the right path. How does the Bible give you light? How does the Bible give you light? The Bible give you light when it it's setting on your shelf. The Bible give you light when it's setting on your shelf. What do you have to do with the Bible to give it to, to have it give you light? What do you have to do with the Bible? Okay, read it. Oh, read it. Yeah, right. Read it and think about it. Right. Read it and think about it. That's very very important. If we want the Bible to give us light, we need to read it. The Bible also talks about meditating on God's Word, to think about it, and to memorize it. So as young people, you can do that. You can memorize. You can memorize a lot better than I can, right? The other part, of, um, the other part that I'd like to think about with the Bible is the fact that the Bible is like milk. How many of you like to drink milk? You like milk? Yeah, milk is good, isn't it? Okay, what, um, what people or what age group of people uh, with us uh, need milk for almost a year? They drink hardly anything else except milk for about a year. Okay, babies, yeah, babies need milk. Let's think about a few verses having to do with milk. First Peter chapter 2, verse 2 and 3 says, As newborn babes desire, desire the sincere or the pure milk of the word that they may grow thereby, if so be that they have tasted that the Lord is good. So babies like milk, don't they? Right? Babies like milk. What happens if a baby wants milk but it's not getting it? No? Go ahead. Cries. Yeah, they want milk. As soon as they need it, right? They want milk as soon as they need it. Well, you know what? The Bible says that we should be like babies like that. 
So just like a little baby just really wants milk when it gets hungry, then we should be like that too with the Bible. We should be like that too with the Bible. And so babies are very demanding with, with their milk. And so we should be like that as we think about the Bible. The Bible, babies crave milk. They demand milk. They can't live without milk, right? And so uh, babies uh, need, we should also be craving God's word just like babies need milk and crave milk. So we should also be craving milk and um, milk um, as uh, babies need milk to grow. So we also need the Bible to grow spiritually. There's another aspect of milk that is, uh, comes through in the Bible that I think is interesting. In uh, Hebrews chapter 5, I don't think I'm going to take the time to read that. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, it talks about um, uh, Christians that are still needing milk when they should actually be eating meat. So you look at a person's lifespan of, say, 60 years. In those 60 years, a baby, a, ch- a, a person only needs milk of, for a very, very short time, right? Now, you know, you can enjoy, enjoy drinking milk for many years, but it only needs milk for a very short time. And so in Hebrews, it talks about babies or Christians that are needing milk for a long time. They're, they're needing milk longer than they should. So when you sit down for supper, does your dad bring a bottle to the table for his supper? No, no he doesn't do that. So he has outgrown the need for a bottle. So he might still drink milk, but he doesn't need the bottle anymore, right? Well... I think today we, we actually have Christians today that have been Christians for many years and they still need a bottle. And the Bible says that shouldn't, that's not right. The Bible says you, it, it shouldn't be that way. You should quickly outgrow the need for the bottle and get on solid food. So you think about a baby. A baby just needs everything. Um, you need to feed it, you need to wash it, you need to change the diapers, you need to clothe it, needs to, you need to do everything for a baby. And a baby is a very, very high-maintenance kind of person, right? It takes a lot of time. And, and, uh, but we expect babies to, to quickly outgrow that stage, and, and we expect babies then to grow up and later then be able to help with family life and help with chores and help with... Um, with uh, work and so on. And so when a baby needs milk for a long time, like many years, then we say something is wrong. And um, I think, I think in, in, our, um, in our spiritual lives, it's like that too. So when we come to the Lord, we are maybe like baby Christians. We need, we need um, more maintenance. So... But we should, we should quickly outgrow that. But I think too often our churches have too many Christians that still need the milk, and they should have outgrown the milk. And so they still need lots of care. They still need lots of, uh, lots of um, attention. And one pastor, said, one pastor said he thinks that 
percent of his time is spent with 10% of his, of his membership. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. We should quickly outgrow our need for milk and then be able to contribute and help with church life and society and so on. A baby Christian might be one who reads the Bible but doesn't learn very much. Reads the Bible but doesn't learn very much. And uh, so we should quickly outgrow that stage. Well, I have a number of things here. Okay, the children can go back to their parents again. I have a number of things here I was going to go through, and I see time is uh, slipping away here. So um, I'm going to go through some of these rather quickly. Um, I also brought I also brought honey. Psalm 119, 103, How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. So honey is, uh, we like honey, don't we? Uh, most times, most times uh, honey or sweet things are not necessarily essential for living. So you can live without honey. But we enjoy honey, right? We enjoy honey. And so, Part of what I learned from the Bible as being like honey is the Bible should be something that we enjoy. It should be something we enjoy. The Bible should not be something that we just read just because we have to or just because we need to or just because it's, you know, the accepted thing to do. So we should be able to enjoy the Bible, enjoy like we do honey and sweet things. We should be able to enjoy it. And, uh, and uh, do so, um, enjoy Bible reading just like we enjoy honey or other desserts. So, um, yeah, I have a sweet tooth, um, and so I, sometimes I just like to eat something sweet. But I should be like that with the Bible, too. So sometimes I should be reading the Bible just because I really enjoy it, just because I really want to. And we can learn and grow in our Christian lives in that way. Bible is also like gold. It's also like gold, like money. I brought a little bag of money. I brought a little bag of money. Uh, Psalm nineteen ten. More to be desired than gold, yea, than much fine gold. And there it's talking, in the previous verses, it's talking about the judgments and the statutes of the Lord, uh, referring to Bible. Um, so the Bible is, is more to be desired than gold. So, you know, everyone... Wants, uh, usually wants a certain amount of money. So we need money, right? We need money to live. We need money to, and we, we earn money when we go to work. Um, but the Bible is worth more than money. So money will not get us to heaven, right? Money won't get us to heaven, but the Bible will tell us how to get to heaven. The Bible will tell us how to get to heaven. So it's worth more than money. It's a road map to heaven. So the Bible gives us insights into salvation, eternal life, peace, forgiveness, and power to live right. Money can't do any of those for us. And yet we need, we need money, but money can't get us to heaven. Money does not tell us how to live. Uh, sometimes money actually causes people to make poor choices. Um, it's interesting for me that uh, both honey... And money can both be addictive. Some people are addicted to making money. And they are addicted to 
uh, making more money than what they really need, and they uh, make uh, poor choices. And so their families, their families suffer, their relationships suffer because they're um, so bent on making money. We also have water. We also have water. So without water, there is no life. Life as we know it needs water. If you don't have water, there's no life. And um, and the Bible is the Bible is like water. In Ephesians five twenty six, it says that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. Uh, is talking there about the church. Uh, that passage there in uh, Ephesians five is talking about the Christ, uh, Christ in the church that he might sanctify and wash it and cleanse it by the washing of water, with the washing of water by the word. So water is essential for life. And so today they're sending all these little probes and these little, these little uh, uh, scooters or whatever to different planets. And so they sent one to Mars. And when they do that, they're always looking for water. They're always looking for moisture because if, they can find water on a planet somewhere. They'll, they will say that, you know, somebody may have lived there at one time. But if there's no water, there's very little chance of life, at least not life as we know it. And so water is very, very important. We, we consider water important for life. We drink water. Uh, almost everything you clean is done with some kind of liquid. And so water is very, very important for cleaning and so on, too. And so um, Jesus... Um, talking to Peter there uh, at the Last Supper when he was washing his disciples' feet, Peter says to Jesus, if I wash thee not, you have no part with me. So washing is very, very important for, for water and it's also very, very important for God's word. In Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 29, uh, verse says, uh, is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. So we think of fire as being a source of light and heat. Um, so we use fire to, to burn trash. And, well, one doesn't work. Um, we use light, uh, fire to uh, burn trash. And so fire is a very useful thing for us. Uh, it'd be hard to live without fire. Uh, fire can also be very destructive if it's not used properly. But uh, the Bible is like a fire. It works in our lives. It gives us light. It gives us heat. And, and um, also enables us to uh, burn the trash in our lives. But it's also, the Bible is then also like a hammer. I had a stonemason do some work for me a number of years ago. And it was, it was interesting to watch him. So he had a hammer, a big hammer. And... Uh, and he would uh, think about, you know, this stone that needed to be shaped for a place in the wall. He was building a wall for me. And he would take the stone and he would look at it, turn it a little bit, and turn it over sometimes and look at it a little bit more. And then he would hit it with his hammer. And he only had to hit it, he just had to hit it like a couple times. And, you know, a fairly big stone would just fall apart. And he knew where to hit it to make it break. And um, I believe God's word is like a hammer in our lives. It's like a hammer. So God doesn't pound on us unnecessarily. God doesn't, um, doesn't intend to hurt us by 
using his hammer on us, but he, he does intend to shape us and to make us the kind of people that he can use. And so uh, God knows exactly where to strike, to break the sin, to break bad habits, and he enables us to have then soft hearts. He enables us to have soft hearts as our hearts are broken by his word. Um, we have soft hearts that, that are pliable uh, for him. We also have, uh, the Bible is also like a seed. And so brought several kinds of seed, um, cucumber seed and some red beet seeds. Red beet seeds are kind of interesting. They're funny looking things. And so Matthew chapter 13, verse 23, uh, there in the parable of the, of the soils, uh, it says, um, He that received seed in the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it and then uh, obeys it. And so this is not, you know, we go back to the baby illustration, and uh, this person is not a baby. He's not a spiritual baby because he's hearing the word, he's understanding it, and he's putting it to putting it to practice. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, it talks about the Bible. I'm not going to take the time to read that verse, but it talks about the Bible as being incorruptible seed. Incorruptible seed is seed that is, is alive. It's seed that when, when you plant it, it will grow. A number of years ago, uh, there on the farm, I was... Um, I was uh, planting cover crop, and so we would uh, buy rye seed, and we would, we would seed that in the fall's cover crop. And so one year I decided I'm just going to raise my own cover crop. And so I had some rye, and I got a combine in, and we, put it, com- we harvested it, put it in a wagon. I just kind of forgot about it for a couple months till I needed it. When I went to use it, I discovered that when I put it in the wagon, there was it was some moisture there. And so when I got it out of the wagon, we cleaned it and, and I planted it. And I discovered that because of the moisture, it had gone through um, of a heat and some fermentation. And when I planted it, it didn't grow. At least most of it didn't grow. Some of it grew, but most of it didn't grow. So I was actually planting corruptible seed. I was planting seed that was corrupted. The Bible says it is, the Bible is not corruptible seed. When the Bible is planted, it will always produce a harvest. It will always produce a harvest. And if we cultivate the soil in our hearts and we plant God's word in our hearts, it will always produce a harvest. God's word will never, never return void, it says there in uh, Isaiah chapter 55. And so... Think about the Bible as being um, as being seed that will always grow. Um, also brought this is what I this is I'm using this for my sword. Okay, so it's actually a machete. In uh, Ephesians chapter six verse seventeen, and it talks about the the armor and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The the sword for the Roman soldier was different than the other parts of his armor because the sword was an, an offensive weapon. So the helmet and the shield and the, 
and the breastplate and all the other things were, were defensive kind of weapons. But the sword was used to actually cause damage on the enemy. It could also be a defensive, um, an offensive kind of um, weapon, but it was used to make to damage the enemy. And so uh, we think about putting God's word into our hearts. We think about having God's word become a part of us. And then we are actually giving the Holy Spirit ammunition to use when, we're face the, when we face the enemy. And uh, the Bible is very, very important in that. In um, Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about God's word as also being a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The, the Bible, God's word, it talks about uh, the sword as being um, used to divide asunder uh, the joints and marrow and also the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so I find it really, really hard in my life, I find it really, really hard to do an accurate self-examination. To accurately Evaluate yourself is difficult. But when we use the Bible as our guide, it helps us to make accurate self-examinations. And so it's really, really important for, the, for, the, for us to do that. Um, I find it really hard to do that also, uh, accurate self-examinations without the help of the brotherhood. Also have a mirror. Um, James chapter 1, uh, I'm just going to turn to these verses, um, James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway, Forgetteth what manner of man he was, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And so we would say that someone who uses the mirror, he looks in the mirror and he sees that he needs to comb his hair or he needs to do something with uh, the way he looks. And he puts the mirror down and walks away and doesn't do anything. We'd say that's foolish. You know, he should have used the mirror and, and uh, made some adjustment, you know. So the Bible says to read God's word and to think about what God's word tells us and then not do anything about it. That's also a foolish thing to do. Um, God's word, looking into God's word without responding to it is like using a mirror without making any kind of changes. I think it's important for us to read the Bible. I'm just going to make some closing comments here yet, and then uh, we'll end here in a few minutes. I believe it's important for us to read the Bible with a teachable mind uh, rather than an open mind. Think about reading the Bible with a teachable mind rather than an open mind. 
a teachable mind is uh, we build on things that we have known previously. So, so uh, you read through scripture and then you connect that with other scriptures that you've used and heard and other teachings that you've had. With an open mind, we come to the Bible and, and we um, say this passage can mean anything. And so an open mind causes us to sometimes go in wrong directions with interpretation of Scripture. Um, I think it's so important for us to spend time in God's Word and to um, use it and to grow from it. Over the years, I have um, talked with numerous people that have either like responded at uh, revival meetings or they've come to me and had questions, they wanted some help, and so on. And, but I've never talked with anyone that needed help spiritually that said, my devotional life is great. Those who backslide spiritually almost, I should say, almost always lack in a devotional life. If you have a great devotional life, and you're enjoying it like you would honey and sweetness, and it's meaningful to you, you're not going to be a backsliding Christian. You're not going to be a backsliding Christian. The devil, the devil will do whatever he can to keep you from God's word. Even sometimes, I think, messing with our schedules. Maybe you don't find it that way. I don't know. But. And, you know, so I've, I've been a preacher more than, uh, for more years than Jason said, 30-some years now. And, uh, you know, I still need to discipline myself to spend time in God's Word. It doesn't change when you're a preacher. Uh, you still need to discipline yourself. But I'm telling you, Satan will do whatever he can to keep you from God's Word because God's Word is your lifeline. To God. God's word is your lifeline to God. God's word, the Bible, is his last, his final, and his complete message to us. To think about getting any other kind of message from God than through the Bible is opening yourself to um, deception. The Bible is God's way of speaking to us. It's his last, his final, and his complete message to us. It tells us everything we need to know. I was on the Choice Books board for a while. We had a book that was selling really well called Jesus Calling. This book was written by a lady, and what was written in the book was not wrong. It was a book that was selling well. It was the, what was written in the book was not necessarily wrong, but this lady was writing the book from the perspective of Jesus talking with her. And uh, Dave probably remembers uh, that book. Um, and it wasn't long before other books were coming out, based on the same kind of logic and giving sometimes wrong messages. 
And we decided, even though it was a good-selling book, we, de we decided to take that book off the market because of the basis from which this, this woman was writing. She was not writing on the basis of what God's word was telling her. She was writing on the basis of what she felt Jesus was telling her. And that opens, that opens your life to lots of lots of uh, problems when you do that. God's primary way of communicating with us is through his word. Through his word. Just a, a few little things here concerning children. Um, sometimes, um, well, let me start here. Um, when I was teaching Bible at school, we would sometimes, after we finish a book, we would do something a little different. And so, so we would set up quiz lights and, and uh, the class would do some some things with the quiz lights. And so this time I was doing a sword drill with quiz lights. And so whoever jumped first got the, you know, uh, they were finding the reference and jump first was able to read the reference and so on. And I discovered that in third and fourth grade there were some children that couldn't find a reference. This was probably like 10 years ago. You give them the book, you give them the book, the chapter and the verse, and they were not able to find it. Now, I, I know you're going to tell me I'm old, and um, I'm old school and all that. But if, if, you know, sometimes dads struggle a little bit to find things to do for, like, family devotions that's interesting. But here, here's a suggestion. Get your children to all bring their Bibles to family devotions and do a sword drill. Teach your children how to find a book and a chapter and a verse. And some of these children in my classroom, they were looking for a book at the wrong end of the Bible. And uh, I think it's important for children to grow up and have a working knowledge of the printed page as we have it here. Children should have... It should be common knowledge for children that the Bible, the Bible begins with Genesis, it ends with Revelation, and Psalms is in the middle. When you're only using electronics to find references, you lose that perspective. And I, you know, the electronics, the, the message from an electronic device is exactly the same. I mean, you Google the King James Version. It's going to be exactly the same as what you find in your Bible, in your physical Bible. But you lose the perspective of, of a working knowledge of Scripture. So my question is, is it possible in this electronic age to have a generation growing up in our churches that are not familiar with a working knowledge of scripture and may even be um, Bible somewhat illiterate. Sure, you can find a reference, but do you know which end of the Bible is? Is it the Old Testament or the New Testament? That's important. I think it's important. And so I would really, really encourage children and parents and children to um, be familiar with scripture as this in scripture, not just the electronic um, version of scripture. Let's kneel together for prayer.